Let's have a seat. It is so good to be together with you on this 4th of July weekend. And for those of you online, we're so grateful to share this time together with you. And if you're new with us in the room, we're so grateful that uh, we get to share this time with you. Hey, Westside, let's let everyone who's uh, new with us uh, in the room and with us online, let them know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Will you do that with me? Yeah. Hey, for those of you that are new online or you're new with us in the room, we have a gift for you. And so online, they're posting a link that you can just fill out this little form. And we'd love to send you a gift for being with us uh, and new with us today online. If you're in the room, we have a gift for you at the end of the service. Uh, Will you go to the welcome table right by the green wall? And there'll be a host there that would love to give you a gift uh, for being with us today. We're so grateful uh, that you're here. Um, Now, I got a disclaimer for today's message. And here's the disclaimer, is I wrote the shell of this message uh, prior <laughs> to the opinion of, that, the Supreme, that was leaked of, of the Supreme Court's decision of overturning Roe versus Wade. Uh, of the 1993 decision, or 1973 decision there. And I wrote this, uh, the shell of this before then. The reason I tell you that is I don't, is I'm not trying to elevate myself. That's not the reason I tell you this. I tell you this because I want to ask something of you. I want to ask you to do a couple things. First, I want to ask you to listen to me first without being jaded by your political opinions or your personal persuasions. And I just want you to be open-minded today. That's why I, want, I, I wanted to come out to you because I know that what's happened over the last couple of weeks could maybe make you listen with a persuasion or opinion. And I want you to listen today um, open-mindedly. And I, and I also want to ask you to pray with me right now. And, uh, and I want to pray together in this moment. And you're going, oh, my goodness, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> I, I trust me, uh, what I believe that um, God's laid on my heart to share is something that is for the whole church, not just our church. I believe we need to listen to this as a church family, but this is for the church as a whole. Um, not that I'm asking our, the, everybody to listen to this, but uh, I believe this is a message God's getting out through other uh, pastors and other uh, teachers and other uh, people that are kind of in a, in a prophetical role uh, speaking on God's behalf to the church. I, I believe and I trust that. But God has given this to me for our church family for this time. And I believe this is a representation of what God's speaking to the whole church, especially in America. And, um, and so I just want to ask us to pray together. Will you do that with me? Will you bow your heads? And I've written out a prayer that I plea- that as I've been wrestling with this over the last couple of weeks, that this would be uh, what God does in our hearts. So Father, um, may your Holy Spirit open our hearts and our minds today and open our hearts and minds where they've been closed. And I pray that you lead our feet and our hands to do your will, as that is what's most important in our life. And I pray that you guide us, guide us into understanding your grace and receiving your grace and knowing your truth and guiding us to be representations of your grace and truth as we live wisely in this world. I pray that you guard us. I pray you guard our mouths to speak only what honors you and builds others up. And I pray that 
that all of this is out of our desire as your family, as your kingdom family, to glorify you and to glorify you because of your love that was displayed for us through Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Differences can become divisive when there's not a unity on something that is greater. We've all seen this. This is why in the movies, you see the husband and the wife, they're fighting against each other. And then all of a sudden, as they're at odds with each other, the crisis is written into the narrative. And and as soon as the child has the emergency, you see the parents throw their differences aside. They come together in that moment. Because their unity on what is greater outranks their differences. This happens and not just in the family. We see this have happened in work. We've seen this happen in neighborhoods when crisis hits a neighborhood. We see this happen as small on baseball teams and ball teams and sports teams. We've seen this happen that, that, that those at odds with one another unite on what outranks all other things that once divided them. The last 43 days were the most dramatic and traumatic experiences that any group of friends could possibly have ever had. And I'm not talking about the last 45 days in America. This is a different time, a different era. And this group of friends were more than a group of friends. The core of them had been together for about three years, and now they were more like family than ever before. And they were more like family than even they were close to their own family. And the person, actually the person who brought this family, this entire group together, and he, he addressed them as if they were family. He treated them as if they were a family, and he expected them to treat one another like family. To so much to the extent that his very own fa- family was jealous of this new family he had created. So this large family, now about 120 or so, were one of the most diverse groups ever. The diversity here, they grew up in different religions and and different philosophies of of life. They were, some of them grew up as super religious, while others were once mocked by those that were in the super religion, and they weren't religious at all. They were of different economic statuses. Some had so much money that at one time he could give up to half of his wealth and not even feel it and not miss it, while others, all they had were the clothes that were on their back. They were of different races, and the races that that were represented in this group, some of the races didn't even get along with each other. They were of different working backgrounds. Some blue collar, some white collar, some had no collar. And all their differences, though, they shared the same dramatic experience. They shared the same traumatic experience over the last 43 days. Their family leader if we can call him that for right now, was everything to them. He was the one who showed them the value that they had. He was the one who gave them acceptance when nobody else would accept them. He was the one who would love them most when they were ignored, when they were overlooked or outcast and even demeaned. Each and every one of them in this group Uh, Every one of them knew that the family leader loved them. They had no doubt of that. And even though they were different than him, and even though they were different from each other, this family leader loved all of them the same. 
And he told him this. He told them he loved them. And he demonstrated to them that he truly loved them. It was a demonstration of love that was truly a sacrifice. I mean, after all, that's what love is. Love is a sacrifice. It takes a sacrifice in order to demonstrate love. And it's not love if it doesn't cost someone something. It was without doubt that he loved them. And it didn't just cost him something. It cost this family leader more than that. It didn't just cost this family leader just something to show this group of 120 people that he loved them. It cost this family leader everything to show them that he loved them. And we're not just talking all his money. We're not talking his reputation. We're talking about his very life. 43 days ago, these 120 people saw their family leader undeservedly beaten and whipped to within an inch of his very own life. They saw him tortured in a way that, that was so traumatic. The traumatic public display would make anyone wince at what he went through, at the sight of what he went, went through. And it would make them buckle in the pain because they loved him most. And they would probably buckle in the pain of just watching their family leader, the one they loved, go through this. The trauma they all experienced likely made them forget what this family leader told them. He, he said this, the son of man, and this is a title he claimed for himself. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priest and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. See, trauma is interesting. Trauma can make us forget what we've been told. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. You, it's like all of a sudden you forget. Your mind goes absent. See, when tragedy comes, what was taught can easily be forgot. Not only did they likely forget those words that Jesus said to prepare them for this moment, they also likely forgot what Jesus said immediately before he said those words. See, Jesus had this conversation right before he tells them about the many things he would suffer. He has this conversation with his disciples, the 12 disciples that we know of were there and others were likely around and present. And he asked them a question, who do the crowd say that I am? And while they give and reply to Jesus with some of the common answers that the crowds were talking about, Jesus then gets to the, cuts to the chase, asks his disciples, who do you say I am? Then Peter spoke up. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, you are right. Now, those are my words. You can read that in Scripture in Matthew 16, verses 18 on your own. And then Jesus looks at the people that were there in that group. And after that revelation of what Jesus said, he would start a revolution. And then he would say to Peter, he would say, on this rock, not you, Peter, but on this revelation of who I am, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or death will not overcome it. 
See, on this revelation that I am the Messiah and the son of the living God, I will build my church. Not a church like you might think of it today, because the church that many of us think of today has a walls and a roof. Jesus didn't have that in mind. Jesus had in mind a gathering, and not just any gathering, not a church, not your church. He said, this is my church. This is my gathering, a gathering that death itself cannot and will not ever stop. But they had likely forgotten that in the trauma. They likely had forgotten what these words that Jesus said while they watched the nails be driven into Jesus' hands and his feet. And the words that Jesus gave as warnings of what was to come And the miracles that he performed to to prove that his power that he had over death likely evaporated as Jesus would breathe his last breath and a sword would convincingly be thrust into his side. And now this family of 120-some people officially lost their leader. And they were officially lost. Those closest to Jesus, they hid. After all, they were afraid of losing their own lives. What's keeping, if they do this to their leader, what's keeping them from coming after them and having the same awful thing happen? Then the most dramatic thing, after all this trauma, more drama comes. And and this most dramatic thing occurs. Three key women in this group and in the community um, barge into the room where the large part of this gathering, this new family, this group of people were gathering and hiding. And these three women tell the family that Jesus is alive. He has risen just as he said. But being in trauma, (laughs) this came across only as drama. The family, and I quote, this group of people said they didn't believe the women because their words, the women's words, seemed like nonsense. All this drama because of the trauma. And Peter and John, however, in this moment, go to the grave to figure this out for themselves. And they return to everyone still to who were there together in that room, and they report what they saw that the grave was convincingly empty. And then Jesus appears to them, and not a ghost. In this amazing, dramatic moment, Jesus appears in them, and it's not a spirit, it's not a ghost, it is flesh and blood. He eats in front of them. He eats food to prove that this was himself and not just a ghost of himself. And this drama would continue. Not only does he appear to that group there, he appears to over 500 people in one time. The excitement begins to brew. This kingdom that Jesus proclaimed that he was establishing was now gaining momentum. It was now building. Jesus was the king he claimed to be. And this new kingdom, (laughs) things were going to be whole and way different now. Or at least they thought. See, Jesus still had to do what he said he was going to do. He had to leave because he needed to send and he was supposed to send the Holy Spirit. See, he had to leave so the Holy Spirit could come. 
Luke, this first century century historian and theologian, records Jesus' interaction with the disciples in Acts chapter 1. It's it's his second book, and in the opening, he talks about this being his second book. He writes in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, and, and so there was a former book, and what's that former book? It was the Gospel of Luke. And what did that gospel share? He goes, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and all that, began to, that Jesus began to teach. His former gospel of Jesus recorded the teachings of Jesus and the actions of Jesus. He goes, I recorded all this, wrote about all, of, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen them. He had chosen. After his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, you got to understand the moment in this. And maybe you can grab the tension in this. Because maybe, God, are you going to make us a Christian nation again? Are you going to restore the authority back to Israel Do you feel the excitement that is in their their midst? Are you going, at this time, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because the kingdom meant authority. The kingdom meant rule. And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know It is not for you to know the time, times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. He makes it clear. The authority is not in your hands. His is still the authority. And then he gives them the playbook. He gives them, this is the play you're to run. Then you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my, everybody say this word, witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You have one job. You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, start here, then go to Judea, then Samaria, and I want you to take this to the other other ends of the earth, to the ends of the world. You give account. You give account of what you saw me do and what you heard me say. This is what you are to do. You are a witness to this. Be a witness of what I have done for you. This is your job. First do that here in Jerusalem. Then go to Judea and take this witness of me, of what I've done and what I've taught, to the ends of the earth. In other words, do not dare keep this to yourself. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. This is a pretty funny moment to me. 
He goes, so they're just gazing like, what just happened? And then these angels, these two men dressed in white, clearly come to him and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? In other words, didn't he tell you something to go and do? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, get on with your mission. And all the 120 that were there, this close-knit family who had experienced this, these 43 days of the most dramatic and traumatic time together, that more traumatic than any group of friends and family could probably ever have experienced or shared, they now gather in a room to do exactly what Jesus said to do. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And Luke tells us what happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were united. And then suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And it was at this very moment that the church the gathering that Jesus prophesied was born. It was at this moment that God's kingdom now had an agent on the earth that was his design. A, a kingdom would be established and the church would fulfill the purpose of God's kingdom. The church would fulfill God's purposes. God's family was formed with this indwelling of the Holy Spirit who was now making them and adopting them because that's what happens when you and I receive salvation. The Holy Spirit comes into our life, adopts us into the family of God, makes you and I a part of this kingdom family. And now because of the Holy Spirit, we become a part of the new humanity he's created, the new kingdom that we are part of the new kingdom family of God was now a reality. The church was a force that death could not stop. That's who the church is. And this is why the church is that way because the Holy Spirit is alive. Jesus is the head of this new family and Jesus did exactly what he promised. He had to come. So the old could disappear. And then the 120 clearly understood this. They knew exactly what Jesus was doing, but the world didn't know. The world had no clue. So Peter clarifies this for everyone. And he says, God, in this message, he gets up to address them. And he says, God has raised Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of this. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, he goes back to the Hebrew scriptures, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, not just any of the Jesuses, not just any of the men named Jesus, this Jesus, this specific Jesus, whom you crucified, both Messiah and Lord, both Lord and Messiah. Be certain of this. 
You killed Jesus. God raised him to life. We are all witnesses of his resurrection. And not only is Jesus the prophesied Messiah, but God has given him all authority. He is Lord. He is the authority. He alone is Lord. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Repent because of Jesus' love for you and because of the forgiveness of your sins. Repent. Be baptized because you have received the gift of this Holy Spirit. Identify with the new family, the new kingdom of God. And he would say this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. And it's for your children. And your children and, and, and all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. See, this is the promise. That it's not just for you. It's for the next generation. And it's not just for those. It's for those who are far from God. This is who we are a witness to. What an amazing time. What an amazing era. And you want to know something about that era? I don't think this first century church was worried about their differences. The resurrection of Jesus overwhelmed any nuance or any difference they had amongst them. And since this time, because of the resurrection of Jesus, the church has stood and nothing has stopped the church because this was what he prophesied. Death itself cannot stop it. And there in this passage, I want us to look at three things that I believe the church has been united on over the last two centuries. Since Jesus gave birth to the church by giving it the Holy Spirit, through God giving it, since this time, there are three things that we see in this passage that I believe the church needs to stand united and the first is this, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, G Peter said, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. Know for certain that the authority rests in one person. The authority is not in the institution. The authority is in Jesus. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord, which is the authority, and Messiah, the Savior. The resurrection of Jesus confirms this for us. Death has no control over Jesus because he is Lord of all. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. This is what he would say after his resurrection. And we, the church, are united on this. Jesus is Lord. We will not be divided because Jesus is Lord. We cannot let anything or anyone else take this position of authority. Listen to me. You cannot let anything or anyone else take this position of authority in, our, in your heart. When someone or something else takes the position of Lord, we must do what Peter calls 
us to do. Repent. To turn back to Jesus as Lord and Savior. See, when I trust or you trust or we together trust another authority or we trust another way of life other than Jesus as our authority or his way of life, something then has taken that position of Lord in our life. And Jesus is Lord, and we stand united in this. And we are united that he is Lord. Second, the church is God's family. The church is is God's family. In verse 37, you see these, 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 the, the people, they say, well, brothers, what must we do? You see this, this, this family language. And Peter replies, receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who adopts all to receive Jesus as, who adopts all that receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and he adopts them into the family of God. This is the promise for all people. This is the promise for anyone who's far from God, who puts their trust in Jesus as Savior and commits to following him as the authority and Lord. This is the new kingdom family of God. See, the church is God's family. Therefore, we are committed to each other. We're committed to one another. We stand up for one another. We do not tear one another down. The church must stop this. The church must stop tearing down one another. We must stop tearing down other denominations. We must stop tearing down, and we must unite in the fact that Jesus is Lord, and we together are God's family. And there may be nuances and differences amongst us, but we're not going to focus on the nuances and the differences. We're going to be united on the things that the church has stood united on since its inception. Jesus is Lord, and we are going to follow him. And if we are convicted of doing this through the Holy Spirit, we're going to repent. We're going to use our words to build one another up and not tear one another down. And for those of us that are doing this, I beg you to repent Put Jesus back in the authority of your life. And if you're doing this, he is Lord. And then treat one another as Jesus directed us to treat one another. Jesus is Lord. The church is God's family and it's our family. And the Bible is God's word that directs our beliefs and actions. The Hebrew scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, Inspired by God to direct us into knowing who God is and knowing who, what people are without God and to know how we respond to God by loving others the way Christ has loved us. God's word alone is what directs our beliefs and our actions. The Republican Party does not direct our beliefs and our actions. The Democratic Party does not direct our beliefs nor our actions. The Bible alone directs what we believe and how we live. Our parents, your parents, your grandparents, your traditions do not direct your beliefs and actions. We are directed by God's truth. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we realize and we understand and know and are assured for certain that his words are truth. And we can trust the scriptures that his words are truth. This is why scripture is the authority that directs our beliefs and directs our actions. This is where 
The church must be united just as we're united that he is the Lord, just as much as we are committed to being uh, God's family. We are directed by, we are committed to the truth of Scripture, directing our beliefs and action. Scripture must do this. And when the church has been united on these three things, when the church has been united on this, the church has thrived as a witness to the world, which is what Jesus wanted it to be. And when the church has been divided, when the church has been divided, it has destroyed the witness that we were and are to have. Something powerful happened in that first century and in that church that were united together. And I want you to listen to how Luke describes what happened to the church devoted to Jesus as Lord, the church as God's family, and to the, the, the truth. They devoted themselves, we read in chapter two of verse uh, 42 of chapter two, uh, two. They devoted, they devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with all at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord, I want you to see the remarkable thing that happened. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. When we get this right, when we are united and devoted to the right things, the amazing things happen. God uses his church, Jesus' church, God's kingdom family to accomplish God's purposes. Not a political purpose, not a democratic or republican purpose, not an American purpose, but the purpose of our king and our Lord. See, America does not have my loyalty. Jesus does. Therefore, I will be more devoted to Jesus than any political party or any persuasion. The Constitution does not direct my beliefs nor my actions. Scripture alone, no philosophy or any ideology will direct my beliefs and actions. Scripture alone will direct my beliefs on who God is and who people are. It will direct how I see people and, and it will direct how I love God by loving those around me. God's scripture, his word will direct my beliefs in action. And because Jesus loves us, because he loves you and he's always loved you and he demonstrated his love for you in the most remarkable way, we will be devoted to him. We will be devoted to his church. We will be devoted to his truth, and we will be devoted to his mission for us, a mission to be a witness of what Jesus has done and what he wants to do for all those who are far from him. See, to be devoted is a unity that cannot be divided. Let me say that again. To be devoted is a unity that cannot be divided. And here's a teaching big idea that I hope you leave with today. When we are devoted, we are undivided.
When we are devoted on the order of things by which we place our devotion, we will be undivided. And it is time for the church to be devoted to what God has called us to be devoted to. The only way the enemy can work through in, in, in the church is by disassembling us from the inside out, dividing us from the inside out. And the only way to become divided is to take our focus off our devotion. See, our devotion is ordered on Jesus. Nothing or no one will outrank him being number one in our lives. Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And on that truth that Jesus has established, we and he has built his church and he will continue to build his church, his gathering, his kingdom family, not even death will be able to stop it. It's his authority that we're under. We're not in this for our authority. We're working under his. And we have to be more devoted to him than any political cause or personal preference. We have to be united on this. We have to be devoted to him. Because when we are devoted, we are undivided. Therefore, united we stand that Jesus is Lord. His church is our And he is truth. This is what we stand on. This is what we're devoted to. And because Jesus is Lord, we see the church as God's family and we see scripture as God's truth. The church has been united on this since Jesus came back to life. And when our differences stick out, we have a choice to make. We can either... Find our united ground on Jesus being Lord, the church is God's family, and Scripture guides our beliefs and actions. Or we can focus and we can fight on our differences. The church thrives when we are devoted to Jesus being Lord, treating one another as God's family and seeing his truth as what directs our beliefs. And when we are divided, it's because other things have taken our devotion. See, the church is healthy when we are devoted to loving each other because we see each other as God's family and our family. But we hurt and the world hurts when we're divided against each other. The church is guided and God's mission advances when the scripture directs our beliefs and our actions. But we drift from truth and become ineffective when scripture no longer guides our beliefs or actions. So the church is most influential when Jesus' mission becomes our mission. The church is impotent when our personal agendas trump Jesus' mission. When we are devoted, we are undivided. And communion is a reminder. Communion is a beautiful reminder of what unites us, who unites us. It reminds us to whom our devotion belongs and reminds us why we are devoted to him. Because of his love for us. And communion is a time to repent. It's a time to repent of what has divided us. It's communion is also a reminder that the church is the family of God that he uses to advance his purpose. 
and reminds us that we must be united and we must treat one another the way Jesus has treated us. Because on that night, he would take this and he would establish a new command. He said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In this, he established his authority. He is Lord. In this, he established that we are God's family. And in this, he established his, his truth, his love. And he gives you and I a mission and a purpose to advance his kingdom, that we love one another the way Jesus has loved us. And by this alone, the world will know that you are and we are his disciples. So I'm gonna invite you to take communion today. And I want us all to come in a posture of repentance. I want us all to come in a way that we can come and we can unite together and we claim together that Jesus, you are Lord. Together we see each other as your family and our family. And we are committed to your truth to direct our belief in action. So will you stand with me? And our, our, those that come to serve us, will you come? And as we sing this, will you just come? And it, we're gonna end service taking communion together. We invite you that no, anywhere you are on your journey with Jesus to come and join us. Your children are more than welcome to take communion today. So will you please come as they lead us in this song? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul.